Yeah. The other name he was considering was Connick Jr. Based on Harry Connick Jr. No. Well, I was going to name the guard Sigourney Weaver or Ian Holm or. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone and welcome to Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. This week is a continuation of our Stephen King month, and we're going to be putting the 1999 drama movie, The Green Mile, on trial. Is it the Mile High Club or is it the Mile Low Club? Uh, which is having <laughs> sex on a submarine. <laughs> All right. <I> <laughs> both, <laughs> both, to be honest, man, both sound sort of exciting and fun don't they you're not yeah. thinking about the dangerous. immense pressure yeah. that you would experience uh, on the mile low club and i mean that True. both literally and metaphorically <laughs> uh, right i didn't i didn't factor them at all you did, did you? <laughs> anyway just always are you just always just saying out loud alex thinking first Think. now essentially <laughs> essentially we're going to find out if the green mile will be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list now before we go on our last film on trial was dr sleep alex judged that trial and team that it should be placed on the hit list he's since gone away and watched the film so did he make the right call alex yeah i do think i made the right call i i wouldn't you know not, not a classic to be remembered forever i wouldn't say but interesting enough and you know went for it was brave Really? So, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Um, what was your favourite scene in the film? Ah, uh, probably I, all scene? those flashbacks. I was, you know, the same scenes that you guys were talking about. Oh actually. yeah, those flashback scenes. Although I don't, I wasn't sure, you know, about um, that guy who came in and wasn't Jack Nicholson. That was. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Well, if you haven't figured out, everyone, Alex hasn't watched the film. How that dare is... you? How dare you? <laughs> How dare One you? thing, Alex, I know you know full well who Henry Thomas is. So if you've seen the film, you know Henry Thomas. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, well, I'll tell you what. It's up to you guys to decide. You watch the film. Should it have been placed on the hit list? Should it have been placed on the shit list? Well, it's on the hit list anyway, so if you thought it should have been placed on the shit list, you bang out of luck, guys. So get jogging. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> and now on to this trial. Don't insult the listeners, guys. <laughs> we need everyone we've Listener. got. <laughs> Listener. <laughs> My case in point. Now, uh, moving on swiftly to our trial. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Dave. Now, Dave is just like the character of Carrie's mum, Margaret, from Carrie. He's just too Christian, isn't he? That's <laughs> <laughs> what people say. <laughs> I've, I've heard it said. I don't know why, but I've heard it said. I know. Very, very odd. Uh, very. I don't know. If, was it an insult someone started or just a, a rumor? Anyway, and acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Alex and me. Now, Alex is just like. <laughs> he loves Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. <laughs> Fucking delete. Jesus Christ. Delete, you <laughs> sick son of a bitch. <laughs> Who's editing this? Oh my word. Gab, I, swear I, to, I swear to God, Gab, if that goes out on, I, like, no. No. Add Gav. Good that's Lord. A very, that, that's a very bad Gav. <laughs> 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 
really just thought of it when you said don't do it. I was like, I, was like, I could do that. I, fucking, I, I want you to take me for And then I was like, oh my God, yeah, I could do I that. I do have a good one. <laughs> anyway, right. And I'm just like Andy from the Shawshank Redemption. I have spent far too long recently rubbing around open sewers. Um, which is is unfortunately very, very true. Um, Now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their genuine opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their real thoughts, which means this week, Ozzy has the most important job as he'll be playing the judge. Now, Ozzy is just like the character Arnie Cunningham from Stephen King's character, uh, sorry, Christine. He drives like his car is possessed and in the midst of a murderous rampage. <laughs> um, now, Ozzy must decide which list the film should be placed on, the hit or shit based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion, which is good because like most films, Ozzy has not seen this. Um, but before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the Wheel of Impressions. Um, oh yeah, so that is landed on. Um, it's sort of an uh, in between Brucey and, and Dave. I think it's Dave. Oh, come on. I got last week's. What's Looks more like <laughs> Dave to me. Yeah. I, I can't help but notice that the Freddo seems to point to the one at the bottom of the board. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Where the wait is. <laughs> yeah, it's gone right down oh. to the bottom of the board again. <laughs> it's, it's Joel this time. <laughs> uh, one more time. One more time. We'll see if we can. Lay it flat. Lay it, lay it flat and spin it. <laughs> Is it pointing down at Dave? Is it still pointing down still? Wait, wait, I'll put it flat. Are you ready? Ready? The sad thing is, this is... It's a really visual gag. And I know. Yeah, well, no one's getting the benefit. There you go. There you go. There you go. See, that when you lay it flat and don't let gravity interfere. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, so what we do here is we read out the synopsis of the film and one of the style of the cast, sorry, in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. Um, so how would you like me to read out the synopsis of The Green Mile? Um, there's not many options, really, unless you ha- unless you can do a Cajun accent. Yeah. Like, like Dell. Yeah, Cajun. This is probably the most distinctive accent, or, you know, it's the general Louisiana, I guess. If uh, I can't remember how Dell sounds. Cajun just... is a tricky accent to pull off, to be Why honest. Why don't you give me a, a starting note, Dave? <laughs> um, I'm not sure I can, to be honest with you. It is a very tricky accent. I was thinking more of uh, Tom Hanks struggling to take a piss. Oh, you go also for Also good. <laughs> also, okay. yeah, go for right. that. Okay, right. The lives of gods on death row are affected by one of their charges. Oh, sweet God. Oh, Jesus. A black man accused of child murder and rape. Oh, Oh yes, who has a mysterious gift? Oh God, that was that was quite a serious <laughs> subject matter to uh, take the piss with. Synopsis really went with a gaggy. Yeah, oh, it's hard taking a piss when you're talking about child. <laughs> it would have been great on another synopsis. I feel, but yeah. It, it's... <laughs> Oh well, it's, it's, it's done now. It's done now. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> undeletable. Clearly, yeah. Thanks, yeah. man. Thanks. Well um, done, man. 
Okay, right, so, <laughs> obviously, would you like to please kick off proceedings then? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I certainly know which way I'm leaning already. <laughs> um, uh, defense, let me hear a little bit about the, um, let me hear a little bit easier to listen to uh, synopsis and a bit of a roundup of the... Uh, the general the plot. Gone, please, yeah, thank you. No problem. So, yeah, like I say, this is a, an adaptation of a Stephen King book, his 1996 novel, The Green Mile, adapted by Frank Darabont, who directed and did the screenplay uh, to bring this to the screen. Um, he has previously done The Shawshank Redemption, and he's uh, le- latterly done The Mist. All Stephen King adaptations, as far as I'm concerned, I know Stephen King is quite tricky to adapt. Frank Darabont is three for three on getting it right. So what the film basically entails is it's off with an elderly man. He's in an assisted living facility. Um, and he basically is recounting his story to one of the other residents there, telling him about uh, this time he was a prison guard on uh, E-Block of this penitentiary in Louisiana. He was on the death row wing. And it's called the Green Mile simply because the floor was like uh, the linoleum was a lime green. And he's recounting his story about his time uh, working on this death row and particularly about one prisoner who he came into contact with. One man who was assigned to him who was on death row, um, convicted of an horrendous crime, but a man that changed his life. It was uh, this man was called John Coffey. He was a prisoner that got transferred there and he was convicted of one of the most brutal crimes as calf. Explained to us through his uh, Tom Hanks impression. Um, it's a horrific crime that he's been convicted of, but Tom Hanks comes to doubt, or Paul Edgecombe, I should say, like, use the character name really, becomes to doubt that this man is even capable of it. You know, he at first people think he's simple. I mean, that's what they, that's the word that they use. It's like they think he's he's simple minded. He's not. He's he's just got a different kind of intelligence. He has a very emotional intelligence. Um, and although he's a very intimidating man, he's about seven feet tall. You know, he's got such a gentle soul and such a gentle spirit to him, you know, such a humane spirit that Tom Hanks begins uh, to believe that this man is not capable of the crime of which he is convicted. And then other things start to happen. This being a Stephen King book, there is an element of the supernatural to it in that this man, John Coffey, seems to be able to heal people. The Gav's impression came from the fact that Tom Hanks at the start of the film is suffering from know, a urinary tract infle- infection or a bladder infection or something like uh, that. So it was uh, drawn from real experience. Ex- yes, yes, possibly yes. so. <laughs> that's that's why it was such a, a mesmerizing performance. <laughs> what I like about you, Gav, a real method actor. You know. <laughs> through and through. Yeah, I knew it was going to be about that, so I went out and got a UTI <laughs> preparation for this role. I just meant that you really, you know, you draw upon real world experience. Uh, for all of these things and if it's the role that you don't really understand you wouldn't take it exactly yeah I've just been looking at penises all week (laughs) anyway (laughs) I was just going to let that lie let that simmer for a bit but I'll I'll move on if you like (laughs) okay so so John Coffey yeah so John Coffey we we find that so he's he's convicted of being a a child murderer and rapist yeah however Tom Hanks's character um, starts to see him in a different light. And yeah, doesn't believe him capable of it and discovers that he has this supernatural ability to heal people of their ailments. Not just ailments, he can bring um, uh, a mouse back to life that was crushed by one of the other guards. Um, he can heal Tom Hanks's infection. He heals a woman suffering from a brain tumor. And, you know, he's, he's got this really gentle soul about him as well. He's a very endearing character. 
And ultimately, sadly, he is executed on the Green Mile, but it's basically the film covers their story, their interactions with the other prisoners on the mile and the influence that John Coffey would have on his life. Um, and it turns out that the man, the spoiler alert, Paul Edgecombe is about 108 years old as he's telling this story and through his experiences with John and John passing a bit of his, let's say, magic, in want of a better term, into him, he is walking this green mile, as they call it, you know, this walk of life for an indeterminate amount of time. He's lived way long past his life expectancy and he doesn't know how long he has left and he believes that to be his curse for having allowed one of God's creatures, you know, a man like John Coffey, who he allowed to perform miracles, to have been executed in such a brutal fashion. So that is essentially what the film is about. It's Stephen King, but it is not horror. It is a supernatural drama uh, with real heart and real humanity to it. Very different from the regular Stephen King books, you might imagine. Okay. Um, Gaff, far away. Yeah, but, uh, talking about, as Dave puts it, living way past their life expectancy, this film, fuck me, is long. It's over three hours long and it feels like it. Uh, the, the main story itself, as Dave said, the introduction of John Coffey, it, it takes over an hour until that actually gets underway. There's a lot of setting up beforehand, introductories, you know, introductions to uh, the prison guards and the prisoners and what the Green Mile is. When we're finally introduced to John Coffey, arguably the heart and the central attraction of this film, you're already feeling a bit of a lull. You know, as Dave said before, we find out that Coffey has healing powers and he cures Paul, uh, Tom Hanks' character, of his problems with his willy. Um, but then we get a bit of a. But I was trying. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why I've said Willie. I was just trying to. You know, none of us know why you've said it. <laughs> I was trying to be scientific. <laughs> I didn't want to say his knob. Um, but then after that, after we're shown his, you know, first use of magic, I think one one film first use of magic on uh, Paul Edgecombe's penis. Penis. Yeah. yeah, he says. He says. Let me have a feeling you will. <laughs> I, I, I can cure you. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a child line that I've been using for years, but to no success. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, after, uh, after we get uh, the first sort of introduction to John's magic, it, like one of the problems with this film for me is it's all too predictable. You know, we're told that the prison warden's wife is suffering from headaches and has to go for an x-ray. What do you think that's going to be? Brain cancer, you know. And then, of course, what do you think is going to happen? John Coffey is going to cure it. You know, we, we know exactly what's going to happen down the line. How, how, how does he do the curing? Is it just through thought or just because he, he knows? He touches them and, and then um, he, he lets off like a light and then he essentially sucks in the head or, or their pain, and and he absorbs it, and then he releases it into the world. <laughs> so, can I just clarify? He says releases it into the world. You're recalling Doctor Sleep, the death flies. Yes, yes. It's flies that basically come out of his mouth, and they disintegrate. He's not like release something terrible into the yeah, world. They yeah. disintegrate. He's killed it, so he's cured it. Unless okay, he's it, unless he does get to. So this guy on just so I can get a bit of a scene. So let's say Paul Edgecombe, does he bring his wife in so that? No, no, no. So it's uh, the prison warden's wife. So it's yeah. yeah. So I mean, so, so, it's so Paul, the governor's Paul, wife. No, so so it's not Paul's wife. It's um, wife. Okay, yeah. so yeah, James Cromwell's wife is um, suffering from in, course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what they do is later on they do a, a sort of prison break. So all of the guards who have seen 
John Coffey uses, uses powers so they know it's real. Sneak him out of the prison. Take him to the... Um, but not the prison warden, whatever the it is. Yeah, the warden's house. And then he could... So, but the thing is, is that we know all that's going to happen. And the thing is, is it just takes a long time for it, for it to, I think it takes about an hour and a half from when we find out that she's got a brain tumor to when he actually cures her. So bearing in mind that we know what's going to happen, like the setups, they're very predictable. The execution just takes too long to happen uh, because the the twists are obvious as well. The feel the, the film is just so long and it feels like a real slog for them to come true. Uh, and then just quickly, one of the other things that really annoys me about this film is it's just so just trope filled. Just so many different tropes that you would expect in like an Oscar Beatty type drama. Uh, you know, there's the gentle giant who is also a magical black character. Um, there's a miscarriage of justice. There's a pet being used to display morality. There's a heinous criminal who is well liked by the guards and is repentant for his crimes. So when he dies, we feel all the more sadder. There's the subverted heroes and villains. Dell, who is the prisoner, is seen as a hero. Percy, the prison warden, is seen as a villain. We've got the unreliable narrator, evil person with a conscience. You know, Percy cries when he sees Dell actually suffering a horrible death. Then we've got ironic fates. Percy, who's the real villain of the piece, he is placed in the same psychiatric hospital that he was supposed to work in. You know, there's just like so many like things just over and over and over again. And I think it's just, it's a bit lazy and it's a bit predictable. And at over three hours long, it's very boring. Okay. Um, I mean, it's hard to say. There's a lot, of, a lot of things to pick apart there. Dave, I'm going to give you a chance. So, I mean, mm-hmm. is it... Is it filled with lots of tropes? I don't know what year this came out in, but... Uh, uh, 99. Let's so, 99. You've, I mean, I, I don't know whether... For me, if, I don't know whether it's because of a lack of, you know, lack of knowledge, but for me, maybe films didn't really get particularly, you know, sort of attentive or faster paced until like mid-2000s. You know what I mean? We, we, were, we had a lot more... Um, well, we had a lot more attention span back then I think and I don't know whether it's just a different method of uh, storytelling or or what but audiences um, were given a bit more respect I think weren't they yeah, they wouldn't the, run the out of the cinema well. if you hadn't had some sort of like <laughs> explosion yeah. 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 <laughs> let's not Potentially, forget yeah. that 1999 was also the year that Deep Blue Sea came out so the ultimate mark of respect for an audience <laughs> But, no, but is, it, is it too is it too predictable and and is that um, that wait for what you know is going to happen to happen um, is it is it frustrating is um, it is no it, is it is it deliberate it's very much deliberate you know the film is long that is the elephant in the room that we need to address this is something I expected to come up it's three hours long this is a long film but I will say in complete defense of the film that you do not realize that you have watched a three hour long film this flies by if your film's going to be that long you've got to absorb people into it. You've got to give them believable characters that you care about and tell them a story that they care about and they care about the outcome of what happens to these characters. And this film does that from the get-go. You are sucked in, you are absorbed, you are engrossed in this. Three hours, admittedly, I can't dispute the, the length of the film, but it doesn't feel like it's three hours, not for one moment. You are enjoying every moment of this and all of it feels necessary. That's what I like about it. You know, even though he takes his time with the camera shots, you know, there's there's no scenes that you feel like could have been cut when you think about it. When you when you look at the book and you look at the finished product, you're like, no, and to stick close to the themes and to get you to, to feel about these characters, this was necessary. You know, these scenes of dialogue. And Gav was saying about tropes. I don't think all of those were tropes. I think some of them were just things that happened in the film. Um, and I think that, 
it's hard to say whether there are any tropes in this film because I think this film is, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of made its way into the zeitgeist. The Green Mile has become quite iconic. It's one of the best known Stephen King adaptations. The character of John Coffey has become quite I- iconic. You know, you, you see depictions of him on Family Guy and stuff like that. You know, it's a well-known film, the dialogue, the characters, people know it. And it's hard to say, is it trope laden? When, they, when it's kind of inspired those things in the first instance. So I wouldn't say there are many tropes going on here. Maybe, you know, if it was made today, we would think there, were, there was a few more tropes, but it could have had a hand in pioneering those things that we now consider to be such. Okay, Alex, um, yeah, so your hand go up earlier. Yeah, just, I, I've not a lot to add on. I mean, it is just, talking about the length of the film, I just disagree with the big thing Dave said there, which was that you need three hours and well i mean nearly three hours and ten minutes i don't think you do need three hours and ten minutes to tell a story i think maybe you needed like two and a half hours or maybe a push two hours and 40 minutes but there is an awful 20 minutes between friends yeah but it does it does make a difference you you can't even sat in your on your sofa you just start like edging around you can just feel yourself i remember being at the cinema and just being like and and I'm not you know I, I'm not going to sit here and say the Green Mile was like a it, I did enjoy a l- large parts of it, but you just after a while you're like oh come on like you, the story could have been told by now guys like you you are you sort of indulging yourself a little bit and that's how it feels in in the editing and that's where I think the film pulls down it, it it's almost and you know this sounds like a weird prosecution for a film but it's almost a victim of its own sort of like quality in that they haven't subtracted enough. Because it is good and it is well directed, you know, and, it, and it's not, you know, you, you, I'm not going to say the Green Mile hasn't, it's got a good cast and, you know, that there are good elements to it, but they didn't have the the sort of the bite to just really pull it back to its, um, to just two and a half hours, which is still an incredibly long film. But, you know, you can tell, you could have told a story in a short amount of time. Uh, and the, the other thing that I think, the, the scenes where it does go too long, the bits that I would have subtracted are the are the sentimentality. Now it is a sentimental film, and there, there are some really heart wrenching moments in the film. You know, it's a you know a film about death row. You do become invested with the characters, but especially towards the end. I mean, I'd say especially sort of like the the parts where you see Paul as an older man, and you know, to sort of in in the in the home. Some of those just you, you start getting these sort of narrations and these scenes and these sort of lines which are just incredibly sentimental and sort of has a bit of a Spielberg bit towards the end where you're a bit like, oh, all right, I, you know, like enough now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you got me. I was very sad. The bit with John Coffey, wow, you know, all of those scenes with all those characters I was really invested in. I'm spent. Do you know what I mean? I've got no more to give you film. Like back off. And it, and it and it feels like the film just can't quite, especially towards the end, no, just end, can't quite stop doing it and um so yeah it's a weird one to say that it's you know because it's not it's not it's just it's too much of a good thing and it really is it's you know it's it's there's not enough moderation in the green mile okay i mean you pick pick picking up on a few uh points there there was a a lot of talk about length and um big ones and um just general too much of a good thing speaking of that so in that first scene where uh where we get to see uh, Paul Edgecombe's uh, Todger 
Fancy. That's how they feel. I feel. You haven't listened to a word we've said. I feel Gav has missold this a little. Me and Dave might as well have not spoken. That's all you want to talk about. Listen, I know. I watched the. I wanted to put something absolutely meaningless on uh, last night, and it was um, forgetting about Sarah Marshall. But it it was the version that's on Netflix, and there's about five or six scenes where you just see um, Jason Segel. Yeah, just Jason (laughs) Segel's cock on the screen, just in all its glory. Uh, So I assume it's nothing at all like that. Uh, Nothing at all. There is no nudity in the green mile. (laughs) Far more tasteful. Did it on Netflix? Yeah, maybe. So I see. I see. The film starts with this really great font, the Green Mile, and then that disappears, and then it's just a close up. Tom Hanks is struggling to have a way. But Tom Hanks is penis. No, don't don't believe a word of it. (laughs) But like on a serious note. Obviously, the the characters are, you know, some, certainly John Coffey. You know, I've seen him referenced in other mm. popular things. So, speaking of characters, is is he the main? Is that that is that it? Is you know, is he the only real standout character that that you can take away from this, or or are the other characters, you know, equally profound and you know, and engaging? Dave. Yeah, I would have to disagree. I don't think he is the only um, great character in this in this book and then latterly the film. He's the most memorable. You know, he is the focal point of the film, even though he's, he's a supporting role. You know, the film follows Paul Edgecombe, played by Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks just inhabited this character. Stephen King visited the set and said the character Paul Edgecombe just fit Tom Hanks like an old shoe. You know, he just fit into it perfectly. He was perfect for this role. So you're following Tom Hanks in this beautifully sentimental role and you've got this great supporting cast now yeah michael clark duncan's john coffee is the most iconic i would say he's the most memorable because he is more of the focal point of the film uh, and he was the one that got a best supporting actor nomination at the oscars but the supporting cast is fantastic in this it's got a great cast david morse uh plays brutus howell who's kind of like the second guard on uh, on the green mile um james cromwell plays the warden James Cromwell, you'll know from Babe and LA Confidential and other such films. Bonnie Hunt plays uh, Jan, who's Paul's wife, and she just gives it the, the character of Jan, although they're not in it much, a lot of the action is focused on the prison. Um, she's kind of his his soundboard, his his conscious, his advisor. You know, she guides him on the right path. You know, she keeps him on the right moral compass. Uh, you got uh, Sam Rockwell, who I think gives a fantastic performance as one of the most deplorable inmates on the Green Mile. Um, William. Favorite. Wharton podcast favorite Sam Rockwell uh, the same year of, Ga- of Galaxy Quest this this is why he did Galaxy Quest because he the character he plays here is so deplorable like, this is an evil character a genuinely evil unhinged unpleasant character and he wanted to do something light and airy just to, just to show that he was capable so he didn't want to get typecast so that's why he did Galaxy Quest that's why he signed on uh, but give him his due he is fantastic in this I mean he has some comedic moments and I've got to admit, there is quite a bit of comedy in this person. There's not no comedy as such, but moments of light humor. You know, it's a very heavy film if it didn't have those lighter moments, those breezier moments. And, you know, the scene where he spits uh, a chewed up moon pie in the face of David Morse is genuinely, it's like classic Three Stooges slapstick comedy. It's actually quite funny. Um, other good cast members, uh, you got Barry Pepper and Jeffrey DeMunn. They play the other guards on the wing. And you got Gary Sinise, who just has one scene as uh, John Coffey's former defense lawyer. 
Um, I'd say the best performances here. Oh, Graham Greene is another uh, inmate on the wing. I'd say the, one of my favorite performances, Michael Clark Duncan and Tom Hanks to one side, is Michael Jetta. He plays a character called Del Delacroix, who's another um, death row inmate on the Green Mile. Um, and he, one, he nails this Cajun accent perfectly for one thing but he also gives a brilliant performance as again you know he's a man on death row he's done something deplorable it's never actually mentioned in the film it is in the book but he's done something terrible to wind up where he is but he's a very sympathetic character you know he's a man who's, who's facing his own demise he cares for this this mouse the stray mouse that he finds roaming in the, in the wing and he's just a, a very likable character and quite a funny character at times as well and i think you know the scene where he's taken for his execution um one of the guards played by doug hutchinson who's the cruelest of the guards by far most of them are very nice amiable people they treat the prisoners with respect he's a bully he's just cruel for the sake of being cruel he gets a kick out of it and you know they've told him oh your mouse will be looked after we'll send him to mouse city it's a tourist attraction in florida and he tells him right as he's about to die it's just there's no such thing they lied to you it's like that doesn't exist and he just breaks his heart right at the moment he's about to be executed. But there's no need to do it. You know, it's a cruel moment. But my, the way Michael Jetta plays that performance, uh, plays that scene, it's it's heartbreaking and it's beautiful. And, you know, I think even though Michael Clark Duncan deserved his Oscar nomination for this, I think Michael Jetta was sorely overlooked. This was a career highlight for him. He was superb. Okay. Um, you know, there's a huge list of characters there. I'm going to jump over to Alex uh, for this. Just as a bit of a... Like, I know there's a huge list, but... I mean, I go back to the original question, you know, it, it feels as though it isn't, but are we, are we, are we stuck to just the three standouts that we, that we, that we come out of here? Or is Dave truly right that there are so many great characters within there that that's part of the reason it's so long is that you, you come to know and love several of them in order to really feel the, the pain of somebody on death row? Yeah, you, you do. Uh, I, like, I wouldn't say Dave's, you know, I'm not going to bullshit you here. Like, you know, there's good cast and there's a very good performances in it as well. Like my Dave's right to pick out Michael Jetta. He's fantastic in it. That scene especially is one that really stays with me. You can sort of see in his face when he's told by Percy that Miles City isn't real. He sort of knew that already. Do you know, there's a real nice, there's, there's lovely little bits in it that make you, that like really do. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's so... Yeah, the, 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 it isn't just, you know, three. The, 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 there is a great supporting cast, but there's a lot of them. You know, I mean, that is a big list and it does take quite a while and they all get their moment and they all get little bits and stuff like that. So that is in itself possibly one of the reasons that could have been yeah. maybe a great cast, maybe maybe a couple not didn't there. didn't necessarily all of them. Yeah, all of them. Um, I am going to say that I don't think Michael Clark should have got his Oscar nod, really. I, I think it's, I know it... I know it's like I literally saw Dave just in like, have an inhale of breath. <gasps> like I, I, I think Michael Jetta definitely. I think Michael, I, not not that it's not a bad performance. I'm just not sure if it particularly stretches him. And you know, it's it's an interesting character, but it's also basically. Well, no, hang on. Is it an interesting character? Coffee's just really nice, and he just sort of says. Like, you know, oh, you know, I'm. Uh, it, there's not a lot of interest going on. And I do feel like in the film, the film sort of misses a trick and could have been truly brilliant if, as well as being a bit shorter, it's sort of gone a bit more into coffee and he's just nice and he's sort of just a good man all the way through it. And he's... Yeah, there's no... Yeah, there's no real interest in him. So he just sort of does the night thing and he says the nice things and he's really nice to everyone and he's, just, and he's really huge. And if there was a bit more to him... 
than that, then I feel like I could have sort of you could sink your teeth into it a bit more, and it might and it might not have felt so sweet all of the time. There might have been a little bite or a, a little sour note um, to, to the film that co- could have quite helped it a little bit. I'm also going to say, um, now, Dave, I, yeah, I'm not going to look at you as I say this. I sometimes <laughs> find Tom Hanks okay. Sometimes I find him a, <laughs> a little. Oh wow, I did. I should have looked, but I did. <laughs> uh, sometimes I wish this was a, a video podcast. <laughs> I know. I um. I find he's, he sort of plays a teddy bear a lot, Tom Hanks. Do you know what I mean? He's And this is what he's in in this, essentially. He's just Tom Hanks for teddy bear. And it, it, again, a bit like Michael Clark, is he really is he really stretching himself or is he just being nice old Mr. Tom Hanks? James Cromwell, Michael Jetta, Graham Greene, all, all, all really interesting performances. But the, the, the main couple, just because it's so sweet and it wants to, you know, just be yeah. jerking no tears so much. Yeah, it just doesn't go for that sort of. Considering the film's about death, it doesn't go for that darkness within the characters. Like explore Paul Edgecombe's the fact that he has to be, he's killing these people. He's he's overseeing the deaths of these people that he comes to love and cherish. Okay, and yeah, he's doing it because of the uh, you know the the, the what was it uh, the crash at the time and you know economics and stuff like that. But does he have to? Do you know what I mean? Is that the only option for him? Is is there a level? Would, would, would if you brought that into play, that might have been quite an interesting thing for the character to do. And you've got enough time, my God, in three hours ten minutes, you could have maybe gone into that a little bit. So yeah, again, it makes it good, but it, it doesn't make it great. The, the the main performances just don't aren't interesting enough to be great. Okay, um, I'm going to give Dave a little comeback and then go down to you, uh, Siobhan. I was going to say that I was just reading your name off the uh, <laughs> <laughs> off those, uh, thing. I can remember who you were. <laughs> yeah, I'll just come come back quickly on a couple of points. Is this a stretch for Tom Hanks? No, I don't think it is. We've seen Tom Hanks. He's a very trustworthy character. You know, he's someone you see him on screen. He doesn't do villains. You know, he's likable. He's trustworthy. There's something very uh, endearing about Tom Hanks. And that's what you need in Paul Edgecombe. He is the respectful, reverent leader of the guards on death. And he insists on treating the prisoners with similar respect and dignity in their final days. He's a good man. Tom Hanks, as Stephen King said, you know, it may not have been a stretch for him as an actor, but this role fits him. This is this is the kind of role you need Tom Hanks to play. Michael Clark Duncan, I think, did push himself on this one. You know, he... He never. He didn't have many great performances. He played a lot of bodyguards and just intimidating characters. I mean, like the whole nine yards, Armageddon. You know, sometimes com- comedic characters. He didn't get many stellar roles. This is one that really gave him opportunity to show what he could do, and he could deliver a seriously emotionally charged, dramatic performance when it when it was called of him. Uh, and I'm so pleased he got this role. You know, he was. But you can't see anybody else doing it. He was fantastic. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the character of John Coffey, we don't know much about him. We could have learned more about the background of John Coffey. You know, is he just a, a nice, gentle giant with these magical abilities? And I think there's a reason why we don't know more about him. And that's simply because he, Alex says he doesn't find him interesting, but he's fascinating because there's this mystery about him. You don't know where he's come from. You know, he, he says that his grandmother told him something. That's really the only hint you get of his family life. When he mentions her in passing, you know, he knows about constellations, but there's no other hint to his education. He can only write his name. He is otherwise illiterate. So you don't know anything about where this man came from. Is he even 
was he even born of man? You know, is he is he just descend one day with these magical abilities? You know, nothing about him. And there's this mystery about the character, this fascination, which is why Tom Hanks becomes to see himself as kind of, you know, as doing the devil's work in that he's taken away something so good, something that he, because there is no way to, there's just so little knowledge about him. And that's why, you know, when he takes his punishment like a man, he too is punished for his crimes, as he puts it, from killing this good man and allowing him to be executed. He's cursed to linger. It's not an eternal life. As he says, I will die at some point, but because of the magic that was instilled in me, he's under his years, seeing those that he knows around him go before him while he lingers behind. And so he says his green mile, his walk of life towards the end is considerably longer than most. Everyone walks the green mile. You just don't know when you're going to get off it necessarily. Oof, very profound. Um, I mean, that, well, that leads me to something else there, though, is that, you know, do we think, yeah, I'm going to drop this one down to you, Gav, um, but there's a touch, you know, a little touch on the, the way that, I suppose, in direction in some ways, you know, in editing and the adaptation generally. I know we talked about it in the general plot, but for something to be that long and cap- try to capture every single character and try to make fans of the book happy um, by by doing that, you know, could, could it have been trimmed a bit in some ways? You know, what is the, or some people giving more time than others so that you do understand a little bit extra, take away some of the mystery perhaps, but yeah. make you care more for them. I, I, I think you're right in that this film has tried to be too faithful to the novel. It's in because of that, that it just feels very bloated. I feel like a few trims here and there could have made this much, much more engaging. And um, the issue is why I think is that there's an excessive amount of characters, and I think Frank Darabont needed to be just bit, a bit more decisive on which characters to include and which to cut because there are so many crammed in. Screen time is given to them to try and flesh them out a bit, but it's not enough. So not only do the supporting characters feel underdeveloped, but you end up taking time and focus away from the central characters also. Like I'm not going to like regurgitate anything that Alex or David said about performances, yeah, yeah. but character-wise, Tom Hanks is very serious and solemn throughout. His, his character just feels a little bit like po-faced, um, it feels a bit of a waste getting somebody of Hanks's ability to play a character that is so reserved. Uh, and f- with regards to the excessive amount of additional characters that I was talking about, for such a long runtime, I was surprised just little how how little focus is given to the other characters. You know, really, what do we learn about the prison guards, Dean and Harry, played by Barry Pepper and Jeffrey Mum, respectively? Not a lot. They didn't really develop that much over the film. The first prisoner who was executed excellently, as Dave said, played by Graham Greene. We're not really given that much of, of who he is. Why is you know we understand why he's in there, but I don't really feel like we get a lot about his character. I feel like he's there just to die, just so we can see, hey, this is the Green Mile. This is what the death's going to be like. Then, I mean, Harry Deegan Stanton feels like a nice cameo, but it could have been played by a hat rack. Essentially, it was there was nothing to it. <laughs> and uh, Paul's wife, Jan, played by Bonnie Hunt may as well have been played by a blow-up doll because the most that that character is featured is revolving around or in the bedroom. And, you know, I, I don't mean to be crude here, but, but uh, you know, that, that's... I don't know you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go for it. time for everything. I just yeah, think yeah. that, you know, that there's, there's too many characters and too many of them have too little to do. Um, so in terms of how well it's shot, um, you know, is it, is it a dark film? Is it is it... You know, is it is it good cinematography? Essentially, is it engaging from that aspect? It feels like it's dark subject matter. 
Um, but does, is that reflected in the way it's shot? You know, is it as dark as Thor Battle of Winterfell? Or is it, yeah. uh, <laughs> is it something I can watch with the, the rest of the lights on? You know, is it, yeah, is you, it... you do not need to tamper with your contrast settings. This will be absolutely <laughs> fine. It's it's dark subject matter, of course, dealing with death row. I mean, Stephen King is very anti-capital capital punishment. That comes across in this story. It's a dark subject. But in terms of the literal sense and how it is shot, no, it's actually quite bright. Um, you know, the, the John Coffey is one character who says he's afraid of the dark. You know, you've got one scene at night where they take him out to meet the warden's wife and heal her. Other than that, you know, the green mile is illuminated. Yeah, like a like it lit up like a, a prison essentially, big yeah, industrial it's, lights. And it's it's a clean prison, you know, it's not like a dark, dingy, unnecessarily dreary prison. Yeah, yeah. You are nice um oh. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no worries. Your internet's cutting out a little bit, so every time you stop, I'm just going to jump in and say what I think you're you do. Say, it. You, you do that. You do that. <laughs> <laughs> the point for Dave, he's got the same. Like, <laughs> yeah, we're on the we're on the same wavelength. I can, do you know what? I can jump in for Dave as well. Don't worry. About <laughs> yeah, so the thing I'll is about Tom Hanks' character is he was poorly. <laughs> but just to, just to round off before I cut out again the length of the film and the, the shooting of it and what have you. And it's like, yeah, I could tell you a story. The cat sat on the mat. Or I can frame a shot. I can show you a visual story as well as just telling you the basic plot points. That's that's movie making. That's what Frank Darabont has done here with his screenplay and through his great direction. Excellent. Um, I don't suppose there's any there's much more to touch on. Maybe um, Alex, you got to come back on that. Yeah, just on, the, just on the cat sitting on the mat point. Um, yeah. <laughs> don't ask me his motivation <laughs> just that yeah, don't you dare is... say anything bad about Dr. Seuss yeah. <laughs> you leave this cat be <laughs> just you know just just a final point of just it's it's a very long way of telling you know and yeah and and I, I'm going to agree with Dave I'm not going to come back on the cinematography it's 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 a very well shot film it's 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 quality in, in that sense but um you can you could have told it quicker and uh yeah you just you you you're too full by the end um so yeah, that's that's all I wanted to say. Oh, uh, thank you very much. Um, any other touches? I mean, it strikes me that uh, you know a long epic like this is going to need a, a, a an equally epic soundtrack or at least incidental music. I feel to set the scene. Is this something that it feels to me like? And I don't know why I've got this, but obviously somebody won an Oscar for supporting cast there. But it strikes me that this will be Oscar bait in some sense. You know, it's got that large epic film about it what we got in terms of music is it oscar worthy is it or is it just a just there it's nice pleasant well the academy didn't Maybe think pleasant so. got no word, oscar. Guess, but yeah <laughs> the academy didn't think so it got no oscar nominations for the soundtrack but they missed the trick on this one it is a beautiful soundtrack this is one you could actually just put on away from the film and just listen to the soundtrack it's composed by thomas newman who has done all of frank darabont's films you know Frank Darabont obviously doesn't see the soundtrack until post-production after he shot the film. And he said of this one, it was uh, a rainbow of music and emotion that Thomas Newman was able to get out of this. And that's why he chooses him for all of his projects. It beautifully composed. Uh, it's all right. Gav? Yeah, I, 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 I thought it was a bit sort of like, you know, swelling too much. You know, when Alex, Alex sort of hit the nail on the head earlier when he said it was like Spielberg-esque towards the end, it was that sort of like pulling on the heartstrings. But it, it felt like, you know, it was it was a good um, soundtrack, but I literally felt like the composer was there, just like hit me with his conducting 
ones and just being like crying. Baton. Baton. It's like, it's <laughs> I was like going to say I... baton and I was like, no, that's a cheerleader. <laughs> it's like, Ozzy, if I told like a really good joke that just made you absolutely howl with laughter and then I spent another 20 minutes just telling you knock-knock jokes for like just, <laughs> just to try and get you to like do it again and like just looking at you dead in the eyes trying to make you just like giggle and chuckle. <laughs> Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, cool. I don't know. Has anyone got anything to round off with? Um, I think I've got a few bits. Go on, Gav. Uh, is it, you asking for closing statements? Yeah, go on. Yeah, okay. So um, it's ironic that a film about death row feels like a prison sentence itself. <laughs> <laughs> but over three hours of little character or plot developments, you'll be begging for the electric chair. <laughs> Good wow. one. Good flourish. Yeah. Alex? I got nothing better than that. So no. Yeah, I got got nothing better than that. Okay, no worries. That's a great. uh, Do we have a quiz today, or any facts? Or go on, Gav. Yeah, I've just written written one. Like, if if this is shit, it's because I've written it in the last three minutes. Um, And I'm calling it. um, I don't know. It's it's all about green things in in films. Green smile. Yeah, the green smile. Well done, Ozzy. Yeah, point for you already. Um, so Ozzy's already winning question number one spoiler alert what is Soylent Green people <laughs> yes well done Dave. well done uh, number two which actor plays against type as the lead of a neo-nazi group in the 2015 film Green Room Patrick Stewart Patrick Stewart <laughs> well done Dave uh, which character slash against type as well but I think you know there's elements of that <laughs> in Professor X personally yeah. Which character <laughs> finally played the role that was written for him? <laughs> like, Patrick Stewart is a neo Nazi. <laughs> uh, no, uh, number three, which, which character and also technically actor has the nickname Green Man? Oh, uh, Charlie Day. Hulk. Charlie Day, yeah, well done. What did you just say? Uh, Hulk. Oh, the Hulk. Hulk. Yeah. Oh, I can see He's not wrong. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so number four, Eva Green played Vesper Lind in Casino Royale, but spoiler alert, which city. Did her character meet her demise? Venice. Venice. Yes, well done, Alex. Okay, number five, Tom you, Green. By the way, sorry, can oh. I just ju- jump in? If anyone has ever got a copy of the book Casino Royale, like the, the there are certain written sections where Bond is, because it's written from Bond's perspective, that talking about Vesper Green, and they are without a doubt the most misogynistic like passages <laughs> I've, I've ever read in in any book. It's it's completely insane. Like you You just wouldn't be able to publish a book, thank God, like that ever again. Like it's... That's one of the main reasons why Sean Connery wants to play the character. <laughs> right, Ian Fleming wanted Sean Connery to <laughs> come full circle on the podcast. Yeah. He, wrote, he wrote the character. <laughs> Scottish and a dickhead. <laughs> to, 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 be, to be in keeping with uh, Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay uh, right no question number five right um uh, uh seth green voiced which character in a surprise cameo for the mcu um, howard the duck yeah well done david didn't even have to give you a clue well done um okay number six tom green appeared in one of the worst films i've ever seen what was it called <laughs> Freddie God, <laughs> yes, well done. Both points for, uh, point for Dave and Alex. There. Uh, okay, number seven. Which comedy star plays the heroic lead in the 2011 action film The Green Lantern? Ryan Reynolds. Good one. Number eight. 
which comedy star plays the heroic lead in the 2011 action film The Green Hornet? <laughs> Seth Rogen. Yes, well done. Okay, uh, number nine, Eli Roth directed the cannibal horror film in 2015 called what? Green Inferno. Yeah, oh, it's getting tired at the top here between Dave and Alex. Ozzy, you need to get one more point here, mate. Uh, if Ozzy gets one point between questions 10 and 11, he wins the entire quiz. Uh, okay, <laughs> number 10. Uh, and you, but you've got to give him one second before you answer. Okay, right. Of course, yeah. yeah. Okay, number 10. Um, which comedy director directed against type for the Oscar-winning best film, Green Book? No idea. Off now. Never even heard of it. Alex or Dave? I actually don't remember. Farrelly <laughs> uh, okay. Brothers. Yes, Tom. yeah. Well done, Alex. Yeah, Peter Farrelly from the Farrelly Brothers. One of the main criticisms of the drama was that well, there wasn't enough visual dick jokes in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he kept on trying to write out write in a, a gross out section with Vigo Mortensen, but uh, he wasn't having it. Um, and last question number eleven. Obviously, hopefully, you can get this one. Um, remember, give him a beat. Which constipated action hero ah, plays I got it. <laughs> in the Green Berets? Uh, Just remember, Ozzy, when he died, he had 50 to 70 pounds of undigested oh, shit. colon. And we Not metaphorical we, shit. And he, like was in, and he was in um, Street Fighter. No. I wish. No. <laughs> I really wish. I really wish. If you think, if you think a Western actor oh, no walked with a limp, Called Marion. His real name was Marion. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Right. I think I know what you mean. John Wayne. Yeah! Ozzy yes. wins. Ozzie I was thinking <laughs> of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> because of the cocaine reference. <laughs> I would love to see the cut of Street Fighter that had John Wayne doing like before before they realized that it wasn't going to work. <laughs> John Wayne trying to do those action sequences. Yeah. John Wayne is blanker. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, yeah, that's it, Ozzy. Over to you. Yeah. Um you know, I thought it was going to be relatively straightforward just because of how um, famous the film was, you know, or is. Um, but, you know, like so many times when we do this, we pick a film that, that you, you think uh, you already know what, what side you're going to fall on with it. So um, I kept an open mind and, you know, it, is, it sounds like an incredibly long film. Uh, over three hours is pretty epic, but then it's dealing with, I don't know, I guess like a pretty difficult topic and a way to really, it sounded to me from Dave that it was all deliberate. Um, you know, it's maybe uh, an actual choice to show sort of that inevitability of death. And Gav talked about, you already know what's going to happen. And then they draw it out for a hell of a long time. And then maybe again, that's sort of a, I'm going to give the director some credit without knowing anything about it, that maybe that was a, a, a professional choice to say that well, you already know it's gonna, it's coming you know, you know that the guy's going to die. However, you've got that entire process of living through the knowledge before uh, before it comes. So maybe, uh, maybe it's cleverer on you know a whole host of other levels and way beyond anything artistically we we could come up with. Um, Whoa, I'm I don't know. I pretty <laughs> <laughs> I haven't given it a go, but I I think I can crack out but, a film. Uh, <laughs> but then, but then there's the talk about you know it's. Um, a bit of maybe maybe it didn't need to be so long it could have been draw, drawn shorter you didn't need to pick on every single character that's in the book 
you could have picked actors that maybe were challenged a little bit. You know, you didn't need to pick an absolutely top-class set of actors for Tom Hanks, potentially, and then he doesn't, don't use him. Um, I don't know. John Coffey didn't even deserve an Oscar. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, and, and, and James Cromwell, um, I don't know, I mean, he's probably my favourite childhood pig hustler. He looks exactly like my <laughs> uncle as well. <laughs> he does. Um, I, I, you know, for well, I think that sounds like it's going on the shit list. So, <laughs> sorry, that's it. That's it. It's gone on the shit list. The green mile. You cut, <laughs> out, I cut out midway yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Cut out. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, on with the on with the end of the show, Gav. Carry on. Uh, well, I was going to say it's going on the hit list because uh, I think. It's uh, it sounds like an actually a really good watch and probably something that everybody needs to to sit through and go through, um, regardless of the length. It sounds like it's a, a really good ad- adaptation, uh, worthy worthy of the hit list. Okay, thank you very much, Ozzy. Genuine thoughts. Starting with Dave. Uh, I loved it. This this one mattered. I'm pleased this went in the, on the hit list. No, it's it's a great film. It really is. It is long, but I genuinely hand the heart. Don't feel the length of the film. I really don't. It just it engrosses you. It draws you in. It it keeps you entertained. You know, if you're going to make a film this long, you got to keep people drawn into it, and it does. It really does. Beautifully directed. Great adaptation of the screenplay. You know, Frank Darabont says this is the film he's most proud of. Stephen King says it's the most faithful adaptation of his work. Everyone involved in it is very proud of the of the work, and they should be. It's it's a really good film. Really great film, and well worth a watch, even though it may seem daunting at first. Yeah, so uh, picking up on what Dave said there, I didn't feel the length as much the first time I watched it, but <laughs> I didn't feel the first... <laughs> You're terrible, honestly. Um, you know, but like this... But this is, is, it, is he the problem? I could say it without it, without it becoming an issue. But in your mouth, Gav, this is... <laughs> like, the first time round, the length for me was not an issue length i mean oof, not an issue at all second time around length was a bit of a problem maybe it's because i've just you know i don't know it's the other way around normally isn't it? yeah yeah i mean over time I, you know i've loosened up and um i've been able to to take more lengths <laughs> but, alex what did you think <laughs> wow wow again like like every time gav talks it's really hard to follow it up um i uh uh, without talking about length of the film, I I think it's on the right list. Like it's definitely a hit. Like it would be wrong to have put it on the shit list. But it is very long. Like it is it is too long, and it doesn't need to be. And it did put me off. So I'll be honest, I didn't watch it again. For the, I've watched it like three times, which tells you, you know, it's yeah. a good film. But like yesterday it was like Sunday, and it was like six o'clock, and I was like, I can't be asked what like finishing it like nine ten. I just don't want to. So. And it doesn't need to be. That's the thing. You are thinking like, oh, no, it is really good. It's got that bit where John Coffey, uh, I was going to say, grabs Tom Hanks' torch. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't think of anything else. <laughs> I literally could think of no other part. But when he's just grabbing his torch, uh, it's, got, like, it's, got, it's got classic scenes like that. But, <laughs> but, but you're also wading through all of this stuff in the retirement home and you're just like oh no that's not necessary so 
it's off-puttingly long. And the sentimentality... Sorry, like the film or Tom Hanks? Just... <laughs> 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 it, the, it, it does. It feels like by the end, you're just like going, okay, I, I've, I've had my... I've had my like cry. That was good, you know. And it does, you know. It could yeah. move. It could move you to tears. I could see it happening. But like at the end, you're like, I haven't got anything more. Film, just piss off. And you know that's not really how you want a yeah. classic film to end. No. Okay. Well, uh, I'm glad to. I'm glad to put it on the hit list then, and um, I look forward to watching it. I'll try and start early so that it's not, uh, not an incredibly late night, and I'll um, make sure I'm well well hydrated, <laughs> <laughs> just so that I can cope with the. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I had the. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. But I, I recommend you watch it back to back with the Zack Snyder's The Justice League. <laughs> yeah, that's a good day then, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, right. So higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was Doctor Sleep, which scored seventy eight percent critical and eighty nine percent audience on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Probably higher. I'm going to go out there and say higher. I think this is a very well liked film, like very well liked. I don't I'd know say, many people that dislike it. I'd say in the 80s. Um, well, it's actually the exact same for Critical 78, yeah. um, and the audience goes much, much higher. They're 94%. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, our next film on trial has been pulled out of the hat. Let's see if it's higher or lower than The Green Mile. It's the remake of Pet Cemetery. Uh, <laughs> I could already probably guess where it's going to go. Um, but in defense of the film, all the roles have been picked out at random. So in defense, it's going to be me. Again, I'm going to try my hardest to get Pet Cemetery put on the hit list. Uh, to make <laughs> up for two. the fact that the better one didn't not to say it's, I haven't even seen this one it might be better you never know it doesn't have Dale McKiffin so that's a that's a bonus already anyway um, and impressive oh, Dale McKiffin <laughs> Dale if you listened to this I am sorry but you know watch it back uncool it's going to be Alex and Ozzy and in judging the film is going to be Dave so, yeah, thank you very much, guys. And just want to say thank you very much to everybody who's listened to this episode. If you liked the episode, why not give us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts? Um, you know, If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at Film Trials. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, Films on Trial. So that is it. The Green Mile is a hit, and we're going to be in your ears next week with Pet Cemetery. Goodbye. <laughs> They really focused on the John Coffey grabbing his dick. <laughs> that really seemed like a massive part of the, the, the film's on trial gang. Oh, Did they deal with the themes of capital punishment and, you know, like, you know, wrongful arrest? No, no. No. Just mainly just the cock. Crotch grabbing the good. <laughs>